Imagine being able to ask any question about church issues and practices at any time. Imagine getting a response in 24 hours or less. Imagine a team led by Tom Rayner answering your questions. It's like having your own church consultant on staff, and it's only $14.97 per month. That's only 49 cents per day, and there's no long-term commitment. You can try it today at churchanswers.com slash subscribe. You'll also get a free virtual staff meeting led by Tom Rayner every single month. Again, join us at churchanswers.com slash subscribe. Got church questions? Get church answers. Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. What's up, and welcome to another episode of EST, the podcast for the established church minister by established church pastors. The cool thing I think about this is that all of us are actually established church pastors. We're doing that right now, and so you preached Sunday, we preached Sunday, and um, we're, we're kind of dealing with this stuff together. Micah and Sam are out of the show today, but I'm excited to bring on a um, guest uh, with us this morning. His name's Tim Cool. And uh, he is part of the team behind the upcoming EST conference, which will be October 4th right here in Dallas, Texas. And you can find out more information, register maybe um, after this show. You're, you're going to want to find out a little bit more details about the conference. Um, but you can register or um, get those details at estconf.com. That's E-S-T-C-O-N-F.com. Tim, how are you today? I'm doing great. Great to be with you, Josh. And what city are you living in? I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, so I live in God's country. Yeah, yeah. Everybody seems to claim God's preference of their their town. Yeah, um, we just happen to know it's true. Yeah. What is it? What does it make that that makes Charlotte uh, special? Because well, I've I've never heard of her. So tell me well, about it. So Charlotte, the things that make it special is I'm two hours from the mountains, uh, so I can be up at four thousand feet elevation in two hours, and I can be to the coast in about three and a half hours. Um, so I'm centrally located to, to both things that I enjoy doing, and Very cool. uh, and we're also in a, just a, a thriving part of the country that um, is seeing incredible growth. And so with that also comes uh, the fact that we're in the Bible Belt. As a matter of fact, mm. some people have referred to us as the buckle of the Bible Belt, and along with Mississippi, Alabama, Texas, everybody wants to claim that. <laughs> Dallas, uh, Nashville, yeah. yeah, they all claim that. Yeah, you know, we've got uh, Charlotte here has um, almost 900 churches in the city limits and just under 2,000 in our MSA. Wow. So you are not a pastor. You do, you have a, a ministry, What and it's called Cool Solutions. What exactly is the, the mission of that ministry? So we, we actually had a mission statement for years, and uh, we threw it out the door. Uh, a couple of years ago after I read the book uh, Starting With Why by Simon Sinek. Mm-hmm. And we came up with a why statement as mm. to why we exist. And um, we exist to uh, assist organizations be effective, efficient, and intentional with facilities God has entrusted to them. Okay. And so I've spent uh, the majority of my career uh, helping churches 
develop and maintain and plan their uh, church facilities. I've spent about 32 years doing that. And, um, and so our focus is helping churches with those things. How, how can you be most efficient, effective, and intentional with facilities God has entrusted to you? I'm a, I'm a firm believer that everything on earth belongs to God. And as such, we've been held responsible to steward those. Mm. And uh, stewardship of our facilities starts with properly planning them and then properly utilizing them and then properly caring for them in the long term. Here's the fascinating thing. The number of pastors who are lining up to talk about their facilities is not incredibly high, but it is one of the constant struggles of established church pastors because, you know, we're constantly dealing with a busted air conditioner, a leaky roof, you know, extra parking, um, whether or not to sell off a portion of the property, all of those sort of things. And even, even you know, that's kind of the squeaky wheel philosophy, the, the air conditioner's busted, but there are a number of other solutions and strategies just as far as, you know, changing out light bulbs and getting smart thermostats, those sort of things that can be better stewards of the finances. So it's funny to me, or at least interesting, that we don't spend more time talking about our facilities. Do you yeah, find that to be similar? Yeah, and what makes it really interesting to me is facilities always are the number two or number three largest expenditure mm-hmm. in our operational budget behind personnel and, and, and maybe sometimes missions. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally, it's number two behind personnel. And so for something that is that critical um, in, in the budgeting aspect of our church, uh, it, it just surprises me that most churches want to talk about it when it's cool, new, and shiny. Mm-hmm. And uh, then once they're in it, um, they don't want to talk about it anymore. Right. I kind of use the analogy of, of a boat. You know, what's the two best days of boat ownership? When you get one and when you sell it. Right. Unfortunately, yeah. in most churches, you don't sell your church facility. <laughs> and so you're stuck with it for, you know, decades and decades and decades. And well, um, I hear a lot of pastors you know moan and uh, gripe about their facilities and they're only it seems like there's just one solution i'm going to sell this whole thing and build a new one or we're going to tear this down and build a new one instead of maximizing the use of the facilities you already have yep yeah i i just i I just got done meeting with the the staff over at um uh, fbc nashville Hmm. Uh, you know downtown church yeah uh, you know right next to the hockey arena right across from you know the the music Mm -hmm. hall and uh, they were planning to tear down a building and build a new building that was going to be tens of millions of dollars. Mm. And I, I said, you got great bones here. You just need to repurpose the building you already have. You know, well, I'm not a big believer in tearing down unless that is the last option. Yeah. Um, I, I would rather repurpose. And, and, and generally what people, because most pastors never went to seminary to learn how to plan and utilize a building. No. They, they only see it through their myopic eyes. Mm-hmm. And they don't see that there's really, really great potential. It just takes a little bit of forethought and intentionality. Mm. Well, see, you know, in seminary, we're all about theology and people. So missions and our staff, those things are more natural. They seem to catch more of our attention and how to deal with staff, those sort of things. But then the facilities are just such a huge issue. They can suck all the life out of the church, become... Um, I know pastors who want to leave their churches just because they deal with facility issues all the time. And they'll say things like, this is not what I signed up for. I don't, I'm not a facilities manager. So um, to that topic, or at least, you know, for our listeners, 
and a number of these things that you're probably going to list here in just a second are things that they've dealt with or are dealing with. What do you see as being the biggest issues established churches deal with when it comes to their facilities? Well, before I answer that, uh, I did not go to seminary. Mm. Um, I, I hate, I don't want to admit this, but I was a music major in college. <laughs> um, and I have a pink, the music guys. Yeah, and I got a pink tassel to prove it. Um, <laughs> well, and I don't know why they do that to music majors. You, know, you go through four years of abuse, and then they give you a pink tassel at graduation. I, right. I don't get it. But from a theological standpoint, if you go to First Kings and read the the liturgy on um, how God instructed the Levites to care for the tabernacle. In my opinion, facility managers were mentioned in the Bible long before youth pastors were. Hmm. Um, it, and, and it wasn't just the lowest of the 12 tribes. It was the Levites that were given the instruction to care for the candlesticks, to care for the temple, to care for all the different elements that went into it. So, so theoretically, and maybe not theoretically, maybe actually, the first facility managers were the holy of holy priests. Hmm. So I'll let you theologians work on that one at a later time. Um, <laughs> but fr from a from a practical standpoint, and when when uh, Sam and I and, and some of you guys all talked about the EST conference, which everyone should sign up for if you're an established church, um, I wanted to call it the Oh Crap Conference. <laughs> it was uh, kicked around. Yes, yes and uh, and we may have even used some other language at time. Mm -hmm. um, but the idea was, I, I'm working with a number of 30, 35-year-old pastors that have gotten to First Baptist somewhere thinking that they could change things, and they get there and it's like, oh, crap, what did mm -hmm. I step into? And a lot of it has to do with facilities. And there, are, Winston Churchill said, we shape our buildings, and thereafter they shape us. Hmm. We end up doing church the way our buildings tell us we do church. We have X number of seats. We have X number of classrooms. Uh, if you're a Southern Baptist congregation and your, any of your buildings were built in the 50s and 60s, the Sunday School Board told you how to build your building. Um, and you probably have a large group room with all these 8x8 eight eight rooms around it built out of concrete block that are now s stuffed with Christmas decorations. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so the biggest issue I find with the established church is they have a facility that is no longer contextual to how we do ministry in 2018. Um, we're, we're trying to force ourselves to continue to use a facility that is no longer contextual to the current ministry. Uh, my guess is, is, is none of the three of you um, are doing ministry at your church the same way they did it 40 years ago. No. But yet the buildings are the same right. in many cases. And so we're trying to package new wine and old wineskins. And it, it just, it, it can be a frustrating thing. If I wanted to change my children's curriculum and, and shift to something like the orange curriculum, well, I don't have a large group room to do that in because everything's these small little cut up cookie cutter rooms. And so that's, that's generally the number one thing that we run into as well as just who moved my cheese? How do I get, when I come in as a guest, how do I get from here to there? Right. Because they're built for the people who have been there for a long time. Yes. They know it, where to go, but the people who are new have no idea where to go. Yeah. Think, think of your, your typical um, 50, 60-year-old hospital that's been added on to so many times that they have to paint the floors to get you from one place to the next. Mm -hmm. 
Same thing in our churches. And um, our, our guests just are totally befuddled when they show up and they can't find place where to go. Uh, I mean, one of the things we suggest, and this is, this is an easy thing for people to do, is write the, a script or a story of the ideal first-time guest visit. And I'm a big believer in words meaning things, so I use guest instead of visitor. Because mm-hmm. right. guest is someone you've planned for. A visitor is someone you don't really intend to hope comes back. That's, that's really called an in-law. <laughs> um, so write down what's the ideal script from the time they found out about you to got to your website, to pulled into the parking lot, to walked up to the front door, to drop off their kids. My guess is what you don't want to hear is... I couldn't find a parking space. Um, I didn't know which of the 200 doors to go into. Um, when I got in, I had to take one kid here, one kid there, one kid here. Mm-hmm. By the time I got into the worship, I was in a cold sweat. I couldn't wait to get out of there. Hmm. You know, one time, this is a little cheesy, but I took our staff. This was you know years ago when I first came here. I actually took our staff out to the intersection um, physically. We went out there. And uh, we kind of lined up like we were in a truck. And Mm -hmm. uh, I drove onto the campus, meaning we just kind of walked in that pattern. And I kept stopping and saying, what now? And at every intersection, I would ask the staff, where do I go? And then, you know, I remember one of our long-term staff members just pointing and saying, over there. And I said, how did you know? Like, there's no way to know that. Like, I don't even see the parking lot from here, let alone know that I'm supposed to go over there. So you, you had this light bulb moment when she says, oh, I know what we're doing. And so that led to a bunch of signage, moving things around, moving our guest parking, moving our children's parking, all these sort of things around to, you know, even so for an example, the parents of children's parking was on one parking lot years ago, decades ago, they moved the children's space to the other side of the building but they didn't move the parking. So the parking where they were telling parents of children to park was furthest away from the children's building, mm-hmm. but it wasn't when it was established. So um, just rethinking some of those things for us, new if you're new going into a church, um, it makes sense to ask those questions, but if you're not, then you just kind of know, and we gotta get past that knowing. Sometimes what we're knowing keeps us from finding out things. Yeah, I, I travel a fair amount. Mm-hmm. And, and when I land in an airport I've never been in before, my anxiety is relatively high until I see three signs. The stick figure man, the, the car with the key above it, okay. and the luggage. Mm-hmm. When I see those three signs, which are universal to almost every airport in the world, my anxiety goes way down. Because as a man, it's illegal to ask directions. <laughs> and so think of your guests for the first time is showing up and they're not wanting to ask directions. They want it to be obvious. Um, Walt Disney called these weenies and he's not referring to music majors. Uh-huh. Um, a weenie, he said, you can get a dog to do anything you want it to do one of two ways. You can either take a stick and beat it or you can take the same stick, put a weenie on the end and lead it. Mm-hmm. And so how do we get people when they get out of their car for things to be obvious, whether that's the kids' doors being colorful or music leading you into the parking lot, uh, from the parking lot into the building. Um, uh, you know, are there people with colored t-shirts on? Are there, right. you know, teardrop banners? Are there things that visually just suck you into the building to where now I can navigate this myself and my anxiety goes down? Mm. 
And so, so we've got this antiquated layout of facilities that just happened over time. What's the next, or what's another issue that a lot of established churches face with their facilities? The, the next is um, no gathering space. Um, like a lobby? Yeah, lobby, commons, if, if you're a liturgical church, narthex, you know, whatever term we want to use. Hmm. Um, back when I first started in this, uh, back in the mid-1980s, um, the, the four-year lobby was nothing more than a way to get from worship to your car. Really? Uh, you know, it, it generally had uh, two, two chairs that you didn't want to sit in because they had velvet seats on it, and you had a table with your uh, tithing envelopes. And, you know, that's, you got from worship to the outside, or you got from worship to the next educational space. Right. Um, today, we're finding churches are uh, using their common space as their connection space. And so we're seeing churches designing their common space that's at least the size of their worship space. Um, it's, it's where you do life. It's where you connect with people, particularly if you have multiple services and you're cross-pollinating between services. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you see that other person so you don't feel like you've got two churches in one location? Yeah. Um, and, and, so, and so then you've got your, your, your cafe or, or your casual seating areas. You've got resources. You've got kiosks for setup. I, I'm not a big fan of the welcome desk. Um, the welcome desk, to me, creates an us and them mentality. Hmm, we expect our guests to come and talk to us mm-hmm. instead of us going and talking to our guests. Mm-hmm. Uh, think of a hotel. You show up at a hotel, they expect you to walk up to that desk and check in. Right. Is that really what we want our first-time guests to experience at our churches? No. Um, and so I like welcome areas with kiosks and friendly people and, and so on. Um, th- there was somebody's dad, I think his name's Tom Rayner, uh, <laughs> that wrote an article back in the uh, early 2000s called The Death of the Fellowship Hall. And his premise was that it is generally the second largest space in your campus that is grossly underutilized. Most times, fellowship, the, the traditional fellowship hall is used once a month, or maybe it's used only on Wednesday nights or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's a room set aside from everywhere else. Uh, and so many churches had this great fellowship hall and then had a lobby space that was too small to gather more than 20 people in. Um, and so as a first-time guest, you're, you're shuffling against people trying to get out. We're finding churches are using their lobby spaces now as their fellowship halls. Yeah, I've seen that a lot in new designs. Yeah, and so yeah, you know, how, how could you restructure uh, or rethink your lobby space uh, to make it more c- congruent with, with what you're trying to do in building relationships with people? You know... Um, one of the little tips that I try to give uh, other established church pastors and revitalizations is to this the fa- this uh, this issue here. A lot of them have sanctuaries that are too large uh, or are larger than what they currently need, and then they have l- what, what I call a lobby. The lobby is too small, and so a number of them are trying to put at least two. I don't know if you want to call it a table, a station, a kiosk, whatever, but at least two. One geared towards members that will have information on, you know, the upcoming event, small groups, etc. And then another one geared towards first-time guests or something like that. And, um, and maybe it's not even like a, when you walk in the door, meet us there, but maybe it's after service, meet us there for a gift or whatever. What I encourage them to do is um, take out 
some chairs or some seating in the back of the sanctuary and then move maybe that membership one in there so after the service they can go by you can direct them straight to there i've even there's been some settings where we move the guest one there as well you know and i'm i'm talking i'm referring to the guest one as um you know if if it's your first time here we'd love to meet you i'll be standing right over there i'd love that kind of thing and then that opens up the lobby take everything out all that furniture out take all those tables out those sort of things open these doors up and put music in here maybe put a little coffee area over in the corner that sort of stuff but but even utilizing some of that space in these situations they're not really able to rip out a wall but they could move some things in there move some chairs out that sort of thing would open up some space like that and that's that's a low cost way to kind of help with what you're talking about there yeah you, you can get grandma's furniture out of the lobby yeah, you got to get the Thomas Kincaid's going. Yeah, you know, and, and narrower, less fluffy stuff. You know, stuff mm-hmm. that is easier uh, to move and um, doesn't take up as much space. And while you may not be able to tear out walls, if you have, say, classrooms that open up to that area mm-hmm. that have already have a six, uh, three foot wide door, could you take that and make it into a seven, eight, nine foot opening? Add some barn doors or something that creates kind of an alcove. Maybe that's where the pastor is, but the rest of the space is open. And so you, you, you've created a, a series of connected um, areas that right. all of that combined becomes the lobby. Hmm. Um, and, and you know, thinking through lighting, what, what other things can you do lighting-wise? Put in digital signage or, or something. Again, get, get the um, um, flannel graphs off the wall. Right. And, and you know, do something that's a little more contextual. Now, with all that said, these are all great ideas, but first and foremost, you need to decide who you are. Because if Thomas Kincaid is who you are and who you're trying to reach, then leave that up on the walls. If that's not who you are, then you need to be contextual and congruent to who you're trying to reach. Hmm. So it's easy to say, well, we just need to make all these changes and, and put in modern art or Ikea furniture or whatever. Right. And that's great if that's the target that God's called you to reach. If it's not, you know, make sure that you're contextual. I, you know, I attend a church in Charlotte that uh, I like to refer to it as uh, full contact worship. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's the subwoofers that move your pants and it's, you know, it's haze and earplugs and the whole nine yards. Um, you know, not an established church. Mm-hmm. Um, I can go up to New York City to Tim Keller's church at Redeemer, and they've got string quartets and coats and ties and so on and so forth. Neither's right or wrong. It's contextual to who they're trying to minister to. So you're saying the facilities have should uh, reflect the mission. It should. Mm-hmm. Well, if someone walked into your building during the week when no one was there, and they walk through it, would they know what you stand for? Hmm. That's a good question. Could they, either through visualization or um, uh, graphics or wayfinding or imagery or even just color schemes, is there something that starts communicating a story to them about who you are at the core of your church and not just the, the, the facility? So that's, that leads into kind of one of the, the next things is so often these established church buildings just look tired. And they're just not congruent with who you're trying to reach. Right. And painting doesn't cost a lot. No. You know, 
Yeah, lip, lipstick is one of the easiest ways, as you've already mentioned, Josh, you know, getting different furniture, moving furniture out, even mm. if you don't replace the furniture, just get rid of the, the clunky oh, yeah. stuff that's in there. Yeah, uh, I mean, I've had a number of, when we moved all of the furniture, we moved all of the furniture, there was a, just a number of seating spaces, and they were those big wing-backed sort of chairs. We just moved it out. What I did was put it in storage because I thought if anybody gets mad at me, I'm just going to tell them they can have it. And so all those Thomas Kincaids I, I stuck in storage. Somebody got mad. They came and said, those were really valuable. And I said, well, you can have one. So they got unmad real quick when I gave them uh, Thomas <laughs> Kincaid. And so I remember specifically moving all of those chairs out. Our, our lobby's not real small, but it's smaller than, you know, you got a 500-seat sanctuary, then you can maybe put 30 people in our lobby or 40. And so uh, we moved all that chairs out. And somebody said, well, where am I going to sit? And I just started laughing, and I pointed into the sanctuary. I said, there's 500 seats right there. If you want to sit down, there, go sit right there. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, we've got plenty of seats. It's, you know, it's a matter of moving around. You don't really – I've never really understood why there's so much seating out there. Like, yeah. I mean, most of it, you're mingling. I like the high tables with some stuff on it where you can stand around them with maybe your drink or such. Um, I just don't know why everybody has to sit out there. There's not really a time where we're calling everybody to sit out there. Right. Unless so. unless you're going to use it, utilize it again for, for small groups during the week or you're going to, you know, there's mm-hmm. other purposes for it. Uh, otherwise, the seating just gets in the way. Mm. Um, one of the best churches I've ever seen with this whole concept of using your space and your space is your mission is um, called Watermark here in Dallas. Yes. And their facilities mm-hmm. are phenomenal. And I'll go sometimes. They have a coffee shop in there. I'll go and sit and study. And I talk to the people that are next to me almost always. I don't think I've ever spoken to an individual that attends the church or is on staff at the church. And you're talking about any given day, there's 100 people milling around in there. They're all local business professionals who come in to grab a cup of coffee or come in to have a meeting with, you know, their business. It's it's like a normal coffee shop to them. And so that's a really great space of utilizing um, the church campus for you know missional efforts and it, it, and with at watermark particularly it's an indoor outdoor experience because oh, the baptismal you know mm-hmm. is outside and it's right off of the uh, the cafe mm-hmm. and what a great place you know during during fall up you wouldn't want to sit there in July probably um, but you know October November or into the winter months mm-hmm. uh, just a fabulous place to do it now churches can't immediately think and th- this is one of the fallacies of the 2000s was everyone heard about well we need a third place mm. yeah we, we do we do need a third place but that doesn't always have to be a coffee shop mm-hmm. so so one of the things that the, that um, that I wrote about in one of the books that Sam published is this idea of well digging versus temple building so go back to the John 4 woman at the well. We all know the story how she came to the well. She was doing an everyday task, get water. But after she had her God experience, she went home, and this is the part I'm afraid we miss too often. Is she didn't pack up the family and bring them to the temple. She brought them back to the well. Mm-hmm. And so how do we create more of those well activities even on our established campuses? Hmm. It's interesting. So we've talked about a number of things here and we're kind of running out of time, but I do want to briefly discuss sort of what could be expected at the EST conference and what's going on there. I know for some of our listeners at this point, 26 minutes into the podcast, they're thinking, are we, is the EST conference all about facilities? It's not, but that's a huge part of what we're going to be offering as far as discussional uh, breakouts and those sort of things where you can get real life practical 
uh, you know, person-to-person advice on your facilities. What else could they expect out of uh, Cool Solutions there? Yeah, well, one of the, the big things, Josh, and we've not hit on it today, is so many of these uh, campuses are, are just riveted with um, deferred maintenance and no mm-hmm. capital reserves. And, and so you, you end up creating a money pit for yourself. And um, uh, I've got one church where the pastor left recently and just said, there's no way we'll ever get caught up. I, I, you know, I don't want to go down with the ship. Wow. And I don't know that that's the right that's attitude. But it's a church with $16 million of deferred maintenance with only about 1,200 people. And so how will you ever get caught up? Um, and, and one of my fears, and we'll talk about this at the conference, is that do we end up with a European scenario of a bunch of empty buildings in the U.S. because we can no longer maintain them? I mean, we might. they got to have these huge facilities on the outskirts of towns. It's like, um, you know, shopping malls, just mm-hmm. these massive things and culture changed but you still have a massive building you got to pay for yep yeah and so we're going to look at at you know how do you properly budget for for facilities uh, operational deferred maintenance you know the yeah. practical stuff like that do you have guides on um and you don't have to share it right now but maybe on your website or at the conference will you have ways to help figure out what i hear people talk a lot about deferred maintenance and to be honest with you i'm not sure how to figure all that out do, yep. you, do you have, does Cool Solutions provide that sort of help? Yeah, we provide that sort of help both in, in assessments and we have some tools. We also, um, uh, a lot of people that listen to this are probably familiar with uh, Tom's Church Answers mm-hmm. uh, website. We, we created our own called Church Facility Management Solutions, uh, cfms.cool. Okay. Isn't it cool to have your own URL? Um, I mean, it's kind of neat. Yeah, and it's a totally free site for anybody, but it's it's all about church facility management, and it's not geared towards church facility managers as much as, you know, it's the deacon, it's the uh, pastor, it's the executive pastor, it's the, all these people that have now been been uh, stewarded or entrusted with these facilities to steward, and they don't know where to start, and so we've got every week we put out great material, we do monthly webinars, and then we've got hundreds of free resources on the site. Give them that URL again. It's cfms.cool. C-O-O-L. Yep. And what is your, um, what's Cool Solutions website? It's coolsolutionsgroup.com. Coolsolutionsgroup.com. And these are services that you can use at your local church. Various uh, sizes have employed them, and, um, and it really is an investment worth making because, you know, as we've talked a lot here, we need to not only worry about the theology and the people. We also have to worry about the resources and the assets that God has given us, including our uh, facilities. Tim, how can they connect with you social media-wise? Um, on Twitter and on um, Instagram, it's TL Cool, And um, on Facebook, it's Tim Cool. TL Cool and Tim Cool on the various um, platforms there. As always, I am... Josh King, I'm at Joe Wiki, J-O-W-I-K-I on Twitter. I'd love to connect with you there. If you have show ideas, please, I get those maybe every single day, and I do appreciate them. Also, don't forget to join us at the EST Conference October 4th here in Dallas, Texas. Find out more information, register yourself, get a discount if you register your team at estconf.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll check you next week. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening.
Support for EST is sponsored by Pastor Talk by Lifeway. Join host Marty Dern as he interviews pastors, professors, authors, and other ministry practitioners. Pastor Talk gives you tools and encouragement to shepherd your flock well. Subscribe to Pastor Talk in iTunes or your favorite podcatcher or listen online at lifewaypastors.com.